time for Coffee with the Chicken Ladies, a podcast for people who love chickens. Hey, everybody, and welcome. It's Chrissy and Holly from Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. We're here, and this is episode number 160 of our podcast, where we talk about everything chicken, family, fun, and more chickens. More chickens. We drink a ton of coffee. I'm talking a ton. But most importantly, we hug chickens every day. And we kiss them, too. Don't forget. We brew coffee from a little coffee house in historic Gettysburg, PA, Bantam Coffee Roasters. Holly Ann, what kind of coffee are we brewing today? Today we are brewing the delicious Guatemalan coffee. It's very good. And where can everybody get a cup of this? BantamRoasters.com. And use our code FLUFFYBUTT for 10% off anything on the website. Follow them on Instagram and Facebook. Are you ready to sip some of this delicious coffee and chat? I am. But first, a word from our sponsor. We have some exciting news to share from our sponsor, Grubly Farms. They're here, new and improved, Grubly's World Harvest. I'm a longtime subscriber, and my flock love the healthy, nutritious treats, plus orders $40 or more ship free. If you haven't heard, Grubly's has a fantastic layer pellet and crumble feed. It's packed with plant and insect protein, perfect for those picky chickens and ducks. Grubly Farms makes food and treats for healthy pets and planet. To support us and Grubly's, go to our website or our show notes and use the link. Try it today. So how are you doing? I'm great. How are you? Behind. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so it's Christmas. It's basically the week of Christmas, the Tuesday before Christmas where this is coming out. Right. This is our Merry Christmas special. Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas. Merry, Merry, Merry Christmas. So I'm behind as normal. I have all year to prepare, but I am a procrastinator well, when what, it comes to it. What still needs to be done? Is there anything earth-shattering that you've left undone? Gifts wrapped, food, everything. But I'm in the holiday spirit. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Well, your mantle looks amazing. Thank you. I'm going with a more natural look this year. It's nice. Yeah. It's nice, yeah. It it's been like this. I feel like this holiday season has gone by faster than most. I don't know why. I just, I wasn't prepared as much. Like, usually I'm already prepared. I'm doing everything. Maybe it's but because we're working even more. We work really hard. We work a lot. We work a lot. So, yeah, it's harder to get everything else done. But mm-hmm. I'm still going to go around being, I wish you a Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to everyone. Happy New Year. One and all. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Are you ready for the holiday? Yeah, pretty much. I, you sit there, you're like so calm. You're like, yeah, okay, pretty I said much. This last week, I do not have children's. Yes. I have a small house. I do not have grand then expectations. Why have you not been over here helping me? I don't know, man. You're you're angsty about Christmas this year. I know, I am, and I'm not. I just like to be laid back. I mean, if I didn't get the freezer cleared off on the top, I don't care. <laughs> I'm making cookies and they're really good. I know, I know. there's dust under the sofa. And guess what? I don't care about that either. That's a good attitude to have. You and your goose earrings. Oh, yeah. I'm wearing my goosey, goosey earrings. (laughs) (laughs) That was, I saw those on Mm LenoraDame.com and I was like, oh, yeah, I have to get those for Holly. I am wearing Christmas goose earrings and they are fabulous. I love them so much. Every day since I gave them to you until Christmas, get your money's worth out of them the next few weeks. I am wearing me some Christmas goose. (laughs) I stopped to get gas, right? I stopped to get gas and I thought, 
oh, heck, I'm going to the 7-Eleven looking like a goofball. And then this man came out with the best ugly Christmas sweater I've ever seen before. And I was like, oh, these earrings are nothing. <laughs> well, they, they're Christmas earrings. They so are. They look like your Christmas. If you're wondering, it's I made my new word, Christmas. Christmas? <laughs> I like it. If you're wondering, these earrings are beautiful white geese with a, a wreath of greens around their neck. And little, like, uh, very pretty little um, beads. Yeah, mm-hmm. really pretty. I love these, love these. Thank I you. knew you would love them. She was like, do I know my bestie? Oh, I do. Oh, yeah, I do. I do. I immediately <laughs> took my studs out and put these in. <laughs> I'm wearing these to State College <laughs> Yeah. when I go see the in I told you, I'm not joking. Every day. It's like, got to wear them out for the whole year right Don't now. Don't be surprised. Seriously. <laughs> well, on that note, if you're listening to our show and you're loving it, Head on over to Apple Podcast and leave us a written review. It does amazing things for the growth of our show. And while you're there, hit that subscribe button so that you never miss an episode. And believe it or not, it's an awesome way to help us grow. And we grow like Jack and the Beanstalk. We got some magic beans in our pockets over here. Magic beans? We want to grow. So we need you to hit the subscribe button and we need you to leave us a written review. Please. And we love them. A Christmas gift. That would be great. Yay! If you're looking for other ways to help support the podcast, you can tell a couple friends about the show. How about a million? That's a lot. <laughs> you can share your favorite episodes on social media. You can check out our Etsy shop, t-shirts, mugs, tiny chickens. You can become a patron of the show, patreon.com slash coffee with the chicken ladies. And the other thing you can do to help support the show is visit our website and our show notes, use our affiliate links and discount codes, and buy products from our sponsors. Yay! Hey, Chris. Yeah? Do you like subscription boxes? Does it have anything to do with chickens? Of course. Then yeah. Let me take a minute to tell you about the Chicken Love Box. If you love goodies for your chickens and you, you need to go to chickenlove.com. I love the Mega Box. Tons of useful products for my flock and a chicken tea for me. You can't go wrong with a chicken tea. They are so cute and so soft. In the August box, I absolutely love those amazingly good smelling nest box herbs and that giant roll of rooster stickers. They're great. I love the wood decorative plate. It's going up in our studio today. And with all my baking, those egg separators are going to work awesomely. Boxes start at $39 a month. They ship immediately after your order, and shipping is always free. Such a great deal. Don't wait. Get off the nest and click already. Use the code CWTCL50 for 50% off your first box of a three-month subscription or more. That's chickenlove.com. That's chickenluv.com. Get your subscription today. Have you heard of Strong Animals Chicken Essentials? They make natural supplements for your flock. Strong Animals has used plant-based products and natural approaches to promote the health and vitality of backyard flocks. Their products contain organic essential oils, prebiotics, and other natural ingredients to support the immune system and digestive health. Give your chicks and chickens what they need to thrive with Strong Animals health products. Visit GetStrongAnimals.com today. The Breed Spotlight is brought to you by Murray McMurray Hatchery. Defining quality for generations. For over a century, Murray McMurray Hatchery has remained a trusted family-owned business, working tirelessly to ensure our poultry meet the highest standards. Whether you are an experienced enthusiast or just embarking on the journey, look to McMurray Hatchery for guaranteed quality rare and heritage breeds, low minimums, and all the supplies you need to raise your flock. Request a free catalog today. 
Come, they towed him to the Breed Spotlight. It's the Breed Spotlight. Bum, 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 bum. Merry Christmas, everybody! Welcome to the Breed Spotlight, yeah! I'm going to ask you this. <laughs> have, <laughs> have you ever done that before? No, have I? Yeah, you have. I did. <laughs> yeah, you have. You've done the little drummer bow before. I have? You look so impressed with yourself. <laughs> You've done it before. I can't believe. I can't believe I've done it before, man. Yes, you have. So, oh, that was lovely. <laughs> A little flourish at the end. Yeah. Dude, the other one didn't have the big ending. It did it. not have the big ending. I had so. to make the ending. Yeah, a you bit. got it. Okay, so this week it's a Merry Christmas breed spotlight, and we're going to change. We're we're getting on a different train right now. Oh yeah, we are. And this train is a honking down the street. <laughs> <laughs> it's the Honkin' Express. <laughs> honk 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 honk. <laughs> so this week we are talking the Toulouse. Goose. And say that 20 times. It's fun. Toulouse Goose. You're, Toulouse you're goose. a Toulouse Goose, man. You're Toulousey. a little Toulousey Goosey. <laughs> you're a little Toulousey Goosey. You know what I mean? Okay. So we have a little explanation here because you have heard us honking and fighting <laughs> for weeks now. So here's the story. We came back from the Ohio Nationals and I was on fire for the waterfowl. I mean, hot. I was hot. I, was, yeah, I could not shut up about it. And one day, now my husband and I. At band camp. This one time at Bay Camp. <laughs> is the frame of your glasses broken? Yes. This okay. is my broken pair. Okay. It's very pretty. <laughs> um, anyway, so my husband and I, you know, we share the work on our farm and we make decisions together. And he shocked me. He was not on board with the ducks this year for a bunch of reasons. But he shocked me. He turns to me one day and he says, we can get a pair of geese. Well, you know, next I'll, day. I'll be, I'll be Pete. Holly? We can get a pair of geese. That's how he's. Yeah, that sounds a lot like Pete, man. <laughs> and so I told him he could pick the breed and he picked American buffs. So in spring, we will have two American buff goslings arriving. Hong Kong. Hong Kong. So we have, yes, picked our chickens. We meant to talk about it in the intro, but I forgot. And so here we are. Holly Ann is getting two geese. And tell everybody else what else you're getting. I'm getting one more crusted cream leg bar mm-hmm. and one more salmon favorals and two geese. And two dorkings. Yes. And I'm very, very excited about all of them, honestly. Don't call me a dork, though. Are we going to start this again? (laughs) Okay. They're dorkings. So now I'm going to give you mine. I'm not getting that many, just 500. I'm expanding a little bit. No, that's just a joke. Okay. So this year I am getting two Bielefelders and two buff-laced Polish. Because you don't have enough crested birds doing crazy stuff over I'm there. making a crested like big community back there. It's going to be great. So I'm excited about my four chicks that are coming and they are going to go on my super big run. Yeah, I'm very excited about the geese. I've only had one Simon Favreau's from the beginning for a variety of reasons. Right. So I'm very excited to get another one of those and I lost Beatrix Potter my crusted cream leg bar at a year old right? Uh, to sudden death so I'm very excited about those two. The Dorkings, B. 
beautiful historical chickens. They are. The Bielefelders are stunning chickens. Yes, they are. Very sweet. And so are the Polish. And the Polish are both stunning and hilarious at the same time. I am going for hilarious over here. So those are our breeds for next year, and we are extremely excited. But obviously, the geese are new. Geese are a big learning curve. So we're going to get this train back on the tracks. Back on the Toulouse Goose Express. Back on the boop, boop, honk, honk, the train (laughs) for the breed spotlight, the Toulouse Goose. The Toulouse is one of the oldest breeds of domestic geese. They're named for Toulouse, the fourth largest city in France, which is situated in the beautiful south of France. I'm going. I'm going. Seriously. Written mention of them has been found as far back as the 1400s. They're large and in charge. They are large. They are usually gray geese with relatively docile personalities. But also in charge. Mm-hmm. In most places, they're considered an all-purpose breed because they can provide eggs, meat, goose fat or goose grease, feathers, as well as doing some weeding and some guard work. Wow, they got it all, don't they? They really do. The large dewlap variety of Toulouse are showbirds here in the U.S., and many people keep both varieties as pets and companions. The production, or sometimes called the French strain of Toulouse, are more common. They're not shown, but again, great pets and companions. Right. And I do believe they're the better layer of the two. Okay. Geese are waterfowl, so while they can live with chickens, they do have some specific needs that we'll talk about at the end of the spotlight. Both strains of the Toulouse are heritage birds, but the dewlap variety is currently found in the watch category of the Livestock Conservancy's conservation priority And those are the ones we saw at the show. They've got the lap of skin under. Right. And they're massive birds. The they're dewlap, big. The dewlap to loose are massive. So. We have some videos that we're going to put up this week yeah. from the show that I took of mm-hmm. these geese. Now, archaeologists have dated bones of domestic geese to at least 7,000 years ago. So humans and geese have spent a long time together. And this was very recently in the last year or two. Right. Most of the domestic geese in Europe are descendants of a variety called the wild gray lag goose. They had that typical look that we associate with farm geese. And these domestic descendants, including the Toulouse, have been kept throughout continental Europe for hundreds of years. They differ from the Chinese geese in that they do not have that knob on their bill. That's what I'm thinking of, too. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. The European geese have a smooth, downward-sloping bill. The first Toulouse imported to the UK arrived in 1840. They were imported by Edward Smith Stanley, the 13th Earl of Derby. The Earl was very well known for his interest in natural history, in farming, and in breeding. He was president of both the Linnaean Society and the Zoological Society of London. And interestingly enough, this goose was one of his tamer imports. Wow. That says a lot for a goose to be tamer. He's an interesting guy. His son, the 14th Earl of Derby, went on to become Prime Minister of England three times during Queen Victoria's reign. Wow. They're a very interesting family. Now, poultry fanciers in the UK set out to breed a much heavier version of the Toulouse. The British breed standard was established in 1865, and that's where you started to see that really massive bird that we show. Yeah, they're big. They are. I can't say it enough. They're big. The Toulouse showed up in the U.S. in the mid-1800s, and they appeared in the American Poultry Association Standard of Perfection in the very first printing in 1874. 1874 was also when the manure spreader was invented. (laughs) I'll never forget it. Nope. Me either. (laughs) So, yes. It was a busy year. It was. They were accepted in the heavy class of geese. Of course they were. Of course they were. In case you've never seen one in person, geese are big. 
And we cannot tell you this enough. The Toulouse is a really big goose. The Toulouse is a big goose. It's a big goose. The standard of perfection calls for dewlap ganders to weigh between, let's do a drum roll, please, between 20 and 26 pounds, depending on their age. That's that's a big that's a big bird. That's a big bird. Now, production strain ganders are more like 18 to like 20 pounds. A lot smaller. That's a lot smaller. It really is. So, you know, if you have a little bit less space, you may want to go with the production mm-hmm. line. Okay, so the dewlap geese weigh in at about 16 to 20 pounds. And these are the girls. And the production is more like 12 to 15 for the geese. Again, depending on age. And there's a really big difference. I mean, that's a big the production five and the pounds. It's a big difference. So. I should have noted that, yeah, in geese, the males are ganders and the females are just geese. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. They're just geese. There's no like hen name or whatever. Mm-hmm. That you want to call them. They're just the geese out there. They do have really long necks, which we all know about geese. Mm -hmm. Long, broad bodies, deep, full breasts. And they're pretty stout. They have dark orange legs and, shocker, webbed feet. Mm -hmm. Because they are waterfowl. They're waterfowl. (laughs) If they did not have webbed feet, we'd be in trouble. Because then they couldn't go in the water. So They they could, but it would probably be a lot harder. Be like, why? It's going through my toes. (laughs) So... They do have very large, long wings that they keep folded against their bodies most of the time. Now, keep in mind, these large wings, if you get wing slapped with chickens, it's not so bad. man. But if you get wing slapped with a goose wing, you are in trouble. They can break your nose. They can break a bone in your face. They're strong, so you have to be pretty careful with them. Their wingspan is awe-inspiring. It's huge, and it's strong. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, so their eyes are dark brown to hazel, and their bill is a light orange with a pink bean on the end. That's Jack and the Beanstalk bean right there. Oh, man, we're back to magic. <laughs> you know, when you think about it, geese often... They're also they're, involved in all, all the magic. A, well, there's also a goose in Jack and the Beanstalk. You remember? Yes. It's the goose that laid the golden egg. Yes. See, Here we go. It all ties together. Mm-hmm. We are kind of a fairy tale. <laughs> We are that. That's <laughs> so there is a buff Toulouse. Did you know that? I did. And it was accepted by the APA in 1977 in those 70s golden years. I mean, they we were, were good. five when this goose showed up. I thought up you were the- going to say we were fine. We were fine. We were five <laughs> and we were fine. In both colors, the gray and the buff, the feathers are dark from the head down to the neck and across the back. They get lighter as they move down the breast towards the abdomen, okay? So the underbelly is white and stretches up to the tail. They have like these little white fluffy drawers. Keep your drawers intact, okay? (laughs) (laughs) So the feathers are very lightly laced on the wings and guess what? The legs. The leg feathers, yeah. It's like a little lace on there. Yeah, they're pretty, pretty. So they are seasonal layers. Let's mm-hmm. explain what this means. So they're only going to lay in the spring and the summer, just like most of all poultry, okay? Right. I mean, when you think about most chickens that are good, chickens have been selected over decades, if not millennia, to lay regularly. Ducks right. too. Chinese geese were one of the exceptions. They were selected for egg laying. And so the Chinese geese produce a lot more eggs than most domestic And geese. the standard is different for egg laying with the, the different types of poultry, mm-hmm. right? So. Right. A chicken, a great layer for a chicken is 250 you know, plus. If we're going excellent, you know, 250 mm-hmm. plus. But when you rate a goose, they're going to be much lower. The Toulouse, depending on the type or the strain you have, can produce anywhere from 20 to 50 eggs per year. Now, keep in mind, like I said, that's a different standard mm-hmm. than chickens. 
you know, you might say, oh, my God, that's hardly any. But for a goose, it's a moderate amount. 20 to 50. Right. Well, 50 eggs per year. Now, the other thing you should probably realize the is size. That, exactly. So a uh, goose egg is a, about three chicken eggs. Yeah. About three adult chicken eggs, mm-hmm. not pull eggs. Yeah. So, you know, you're going to use less eggs in your recipe. Exactly. So it's going to help you that That's way. That's a one egg omelet. That is a one egg, <laughs> a, a one giant golden egg omelet. Yeah, yeah. That's for sure. The Toulouse goose they do go broody. I just like saying Toulouse goose. Mm-hmm. And they make excellent moms. We're going to learn that some of the other geese later aren't so good. Maybe not. But this one makes a really, really good mom. Mm-hmm. While the males are generally gentle, they can become a bit aggressive protecting their lady while she is a setting mm-hmm. on those eggs. Yep. So be careful yeah maybe don't leave your kids unsupervised near geese because i can see where that would go badly wrong yeah and the thing is you have to have everybody in your family they have to imprint on you and well i think even there with some with some of them in during broody season you just have to be super careful even if they're imprinted they're still going to be protective of their babies or their eggs now, geese are grazers, and their diet is primarily greens. They can benefit from a waterfowl formula feed because it gives them the nutrients they need. And your goslings are going to need a waterfowl feed for babies or chick feed with niacin supplementation. That's Keep crucial. Niacin for all the waterfowl is that little missing ingredient. So if you want to feed a chicken feed, you have to supplement it. Exactly. They don't need a pond. They'd appreciate some water, but... They do at least need a bucket to dip their heads in while they eat, also crucial. Geese are quite cold hardy. And once their feathers are waterproof, they're also fairly weatherproof. So they can go out in snow. They can go out in cold. Right. And they're more the well rain, protected than chickens. The rain's not going to bother them. Nope. They do require shelter, however, and they do require protection from large predators. Now, you hear about guard geese. Geese are very good predator deterrents, but they cannot be expected to take on a coyote or large domestic dogs. They simply can't do it. They're not miracle workers. They're known to be noisy so that they keep predators out that way. Exactly. They're extremely intelligent and easily trained. They make very loving pets, especially if they're imprinted on you. But... Geese can be loud. Right. So if you want geese, look into the quieter breeds. Right. And make sure that you're allowed to have. The Chinese geese have the reputation for being the loudest. But from what I've heard, any goose can make a racket if they want to. And that's what makes them good protect. Yeah. I mean, some of them will It's go- not that they're going to fight somebody off. They're a warning. Some of them will fight off smaller animals. Or small children. So you have to be careful. Right. <laughs> some, of them, I've, some of them are really good at fighting off smaller animals. But it just isn't fair to expect that of them, one, all the time, and you certainly can't expect them to fight off big animals. Okay, so where can we get them? McMurray Hatchery, I know, has has them. For the Dewlap Toulouse, you can try the Livestock Conservancy, look at Metzer Farm as well. Yes. Production Toulouse. McMurray has the regular Toulouse that we would call the production. Oh, we we. They're supposed to be great layers and fantastic (laughs) geese, so check them out for that. Go over there. Now, here's the part of the show where I say, if you have the Toulouse Goose, send us a picture, mention us in your story, and we'll give you a share. We want to see those goose. Gooses. Geese. Or geese. Bring them in. We want to see your goose. If you're looking for a chicken coop that's produced in a planet-friendly, sustainable way, try Nestera. Each coop is made from highly durable, 100% recycled plastic that keeps the equivalent of up to 2,000 shampoo bottles out of a landfill. Their clean, modern design will fit into any garden or run area and comes with an industry-beating 25-year warranty and a range of handy accessories. Simple to put together, so quick and easy to clean, and most importantly, red mite resistant. Your chickens will love it. Quick shipping from Nestera.us. 
For a 5% discount, use the affiliate link in our show notes, on our website, and on Instagram. Link in bio. Check them out today. Roosties proudly sponsors Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. They're back with an innovative new product. You're going to want to check this out. It's an extra large set, a 14-pound feeder and three-gallon water with steep anti-roost lids. They're made of super durable material. You can either stand them on legs or hang them on brackets on your coop or fence. They're easy to remove and clean too. Plus, they look awesome. We personally use Roosties and we're huge fans. So if you're raising chicks or keeping chickens, check out the Roosties store on Amazon or follow the link in our show notes. So this is our Christmas episode. And even though Chrissy and I usually visit different places for Thanksgiving and for Christmas, we loved Slate Run Farm in Ohio so much. They were, we're going back there for Christmas. I mean, plus we went on a four-day trip to Ohio right. for both holidays at that's that point. Right. That's for sure. I mean, it was a fun time. We met Donna when we went to the farm. Right. It was amazing. And because this is a goose episode and there are goose on the farm and Donna Abel, Donna's one of the historical interpreters at the farm. And when we were there, she was in the kitchen working that amazing wood-burning stove, which we're going to come back to. If you haven't seen it, go to our YouTube page and look at the video. But Donna also keeps geese at home and other poultry. I know you keep chickens. Yeah. So welcome to the show, Donna. Can you tell us just a little bit about yourself and your background? Welcome, Donna. Thank you. Well, I've worked here at the farm for about almost 10 years now. Uh, before that, I was a stay-at-home mom and raised three kids. Uh, wow. schooled them. And... Prior to that, I, my background, I worked a number of years for the National Park Service as a ranger. Oh, nice. That's, awesome. <laughs> That's great. And you are a poultry keeper. So can you tell us a little bit about, now there's Toulouse geese on the farm. I was going to say, yeah. have you been in Ohio your entire life? No, I'm originally from New England. What part of New England? Uh, my family's all from Boston. That's where I was born. And then I grew up in Vermont. Oh my God! I'm wonderful. Jealous. Yeah, it has to be beautiful in Vermont, and that's kind of where it's you started cold. all of your. Did you have? It's cold. Yeah. Did mm-hmm. you have the poultry and the, the farm animals as a child, or no? I, I didn't. It was after we got kids. Uh, my husband and I were have been 4-H advisors for 20 years now, and our kids got very involved in showing poultry as part of 4-H, as well as doing a lot of other projects. So that's when we got into the poultry. Fantastic. Love it. So you you cut yourself short there. I know, really. So what poultry are you keeping at your place now? We don't have as many poultry anymore since our youngest has aged out of 4-H, but we have the 17 geese. We have a few ducks left over from our youngest son was very into hatching birds, especially ducks. So we have two, they're all males, so we get no eggs or benefits from them, but they're kind of funny. But we have they're a- cute bu- though. Yeah, we have a buff drake and we have two Dutch hookbills. Oh, nice. Oh, the Dutch hookbills are critically endangered. They're yeah. really cool ducks. They are. And now your breed of goose, and I didn't know you had these geese, or we may have been doing a different breed spotlight. <laughs> But your breed of goose is one called the West of England, and it's a very rare breed. Mm-hmm. I think the Association of Poultry Antiquities recognizes four flocks in the U.S., wow. but that doesn't include mine. <laughs> okay. Four large breeding flocks in the four U.S. flocks in the entire U.S. I would say that that is a rare breed for sure. I think, is that the organization that Craig Russell's involved in? Yeah. 
Yep. 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 We met Mr. Russell at the show. Such a delightful man. Oh, he knows. And he's the one that brought us our first goose, which we kind of got by accident. <laughs> <laughs> the accidental goose. <laughs> yep. We never planned to have geese. We just were destined to, I guess. We were actually meeting a lady at the Ohio National Show to pick up a rear breed of sheep that we had purchased from her. And she had a family emergency and didn't make it to the show. So I went ahead and picked up the goose she'd ordered and paid for it. And then we were going to meet and exchange them. And then a series of different things happened. We never got our sheep. She said, keep the goose. And then, of course, we had one goose. So we had to get some more to go with her. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's an amazing story. And I have two questions for you. The first is, what kind of sheep were you going to get? Because I'm a shepherd. We were... We had arranged to purchase Hog Island sheep from her. I yes. have kindred spirits I here. Have, I actually have Hog Island ewes. Do, do I have to be, I do. be worried about my best friend status here? <laughs> I, do. I have Hog Island ewes, and they really are. Oh, they're just amazing sheep. If you ever want to get some, do it, do it. The more Donna I, says, the more intriguing she gets. Right? I know. Gets. <laughs> I finally gave up and I got some Shetlands. <laughs> oh, Shetlands are wonderful, though. Shetlands are, are. Oh, I love them. But the Hog Islands, the personality and the wool. You don't hear about how amazing their wool is, but we digress. <laughs> so we're going to go back to geese. So okay. west of England. Now, not only are they a super rare breed, they're unusual in that they're an autosexing breed. Is that well, right? Which is very convenient. <laughs> It helps to know which are the male and which are the female. I'm sure, yeah. <laughs> What's your favorite thing about them? I think they're they're pretty laid back for geese. They um, they act like you know they're big and tough, and I've never been bitten by them. And I've picked them up to you know check health things on them, and they just once you get them in your arms, they kind of give up. <laughs> At least are <laughs> are they huggable? Um, I don't know if they would like being hugged, but their their feathering is so thick and and nice feeling. That would be a great hug. That would be a yeah, great hug. It would, it would be. be. Yeah. I, I got to come imprint on your... I've actually, yeah, because what I've seen is people who will train their geese to kind of come, like you have to squat down. Yeah, and they come in for a hug. And they'll come in for a hug. They put yeah. their, their neck over your shoulder. Yeah, which now that's a good cute. hug too. That's a good hug. So, and do you have geese as well as ganders with them? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are they good layers? Uh, not eh. really. Okay. <laughs> and they, there's a few that are very broody and others kind of don't nest and leave the broody ones to take care of it all the okay. time. Yeah, I have to watch them because they get so, some of them get so broody, they'll just get emaciated if I don't kick oh. them off the nest after a while, if it looks like they aren't going to be successful. That's very broody. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah I've that's had very some broody. chickens like that. I, I've had my, one of my buff Orpingtons, I took her out of the nest box and I took her out and she was still trying to get in. And we had a, in a pile, we had taken an old nest box out. It was like in a rubbish pile. It was in of. a rubbish pile. And she walked to the rubbish pile and sat in that nest box. And I'm like, <laughs> look, you you're, you got to no, snap out of this. When they're broody, they're broody. <laughs> they're like, we want babies. We want them now. <laughs> Unfortunately, they aren't the best mothers. <laughs> really? Okay. Yeah. I don't know that I'm ever planning to breed. We're starting off with a pair of American buff geese, both uh -huh. geese um, in the spring. 
And I don't know if I'm ever going to get ganders and go the breeding route, but I've heard that the buffs make really nice pets. So we'll see how that goes. Oh, that's good. <laughs> now, the Toulouse geese, when we were at Slate Run, the geese were out on the pond and they had zero time for us. They, they were no okay. not interested at all. They went further out. It's the closer <laughs> that we got, they swam further away. It was like, where are you going? We want to get some pictures. So... Are they Dulap Toulouse or are they the standard production? production. They okay. look like the production to me. They don't have the Dulap. Okay. Do you use their eggs in on the farm in springtime? Not usually because either they have a nest which they'll defend or they lay them and we have no idea when they were laid. <laughs> okay. So. Well, they're kind of like doing their own thing. Do yeah. they come into the barn to sleep at night? They often make nests in the barn. So I've been doing things with the horses and had them pulling on my apron and they didn't even notice there was a nest under the horse manger and they weren't happy with me. (laughs) So they come in to sleep at night. They do come in to sleep or they don't? I don't know if they come in to sleep at night. I don't think they do, but they like to lay there to make their nests in the mm-hmm. barn. Mm-hmm. So they've been around our ram pen because there's a divider between the ram, the outer pen and the inner pen. So nobody can get their hands hit accidentally there. There's that space and people can't bother them, but they are, you know, there's space. There. Smart. So they make a nest. They've often made it under some steps and we had to kind of close it off because they'd be under there and kids wouldn't know. And they, like I said, they, they kind of get defensive oh, when yeah, they yeah. have their, <laughs> their nests. Yeah. As we talk to you right now, I can see that you're in a, what I would call a Victorian style blouse. Yeah, I've got a dress and apron on. Okay, you're in a dress. Okay. Now, do you do all the farm work in your period clothing? It depends. We have at at times when we've been short staffed, the ladies have gone back to do barn chores first thing in the morning. And I don't come in dressed like this because I have an hour drive to get here. So I'll go out and do the barn chores dressed in modern clothing, which is a lot easier. But but a lot of times we'll do things and we're open and everything and I'm dressed like this and I'm doing the stuff in the long dress. Okay. I even tried shearing sheep a few times. It doesn't work well in a dress. No, I can see how that wouldn't work. <laughs> now, the goose are running around. We're all mm-hmm. set. It's a beautiful farm. And this is our Christmas episode. So we kind of want to talk to you a little bit about 1880s. What would it be like on the farm at Slate Run for the holidays? I don't see a lot of records about exactly, you know, in this area. I tried to do a little research about that. I've looked in our Buckeye cookbook, and there was no mention of any cooking geese for the holiday dinner for Ohio. As a matter of fact, when I looked up poultry, there weren't any goose recipes in that section, they ended up being in the wild game section. And oh. then when I read the description, it sounded like they were talking about geese that were domesticated and raised on the farm, but they, for some reason, put them in with the game. I think it it really depended what people ate for Christmas dinner really depended um, on your where you were, your ethnic background, your economic status, how much money you had. Here on the farm, we portray a middle to upper middle class family on an Ohio farm. We don't portray a specific person or family, but 
we try to show what a family farm was like. So, you know, it could be a variety of things. There was a lot of German influence in this area, and I know geese were an important part of their culture. Just in general history, I know geese were important for, they would use the goose grease medicinally for salves and poultices, and they did that, I know, up into the early 1900s, because my mom used to talk about when she'd be coming down with a cold, her mother would want to smear goose grease all over her chest. So she oh said my. she said she avoided a lot of colds because she's like, oh, no, I feel fine. I'm not getting right. a <laughs> So would the farm, would the family on the farm be decorating and what kind of style would they use? Was, you know, did they use fruits and vegetables that they harvested to bake and dry and decorate with those for the holidays? And what kind of, what did the day look like for them? Well, I, a lot of our Christmas traditions come from the Victorian time period, whether it was in England or in the United States. They would decorate a lot of times. They would have Christmas trees, and the Christmas trees, in a lot of cases, might be in a community rather than in an individual person's house. Okay. Then they did have trees as well. Queen Victoria made having Christmas trees popular when when she had one at Windsor Castle. And then they would use uh, natural things to decorate those trees with a lot kind of gaudy like other Victorian things, lots of popcorn strings, paper chains, lots of decorations, a lot of homemade things. There might be some decorations made out of natural things like milkweed pods, cones. pine cones, gilded nuts, fruit, things like that. I feel like these days, the natural farmhouse Christmas, and especially this year, I see it a lot, making a resurgence. Oh, yeah. So what, I, what I've noticed in trends is that everyone wants to take a step back and bring it down and be calm and kind of like the farm, even though farming's a lot of work. Let's put that mm-hmm. out there. But <laughs> the trends from that, like, you're seeing a lot of people making their own garland by baking their oranges to dry them out using yeah, that's, cinnamon stick. That's big the past couple cloves, of years. cranberries, mm-hmm. all those natural things to make it seem kind of like you're back in the day. The Victorians, well, I mean, if you like Christmas trees, if that's your thing, and I, I love me a Christmas tree. Me too. Queen Victoria brought us two really fun things. Christmas, you know, as a sort of over-the-top celebration, and love of chicken, right? She did the chicken lady, so yeah. <laughs> well, one thing, top stuff. One Christmas thing you might be interested in that relates back to the geese is the tradition of Christmas trees. Was a, it was a German tradition, and because Germany was developed so early, their forests were being depleted, and people over there started making artificial trees, little wow. tabletop trees, out of goose feathers. They're called feather trees. And so uh, a lot of the German immigrants brought those to the U.S. They are fascinating. And I was actually looking at some of the goose feather trees recently, vintage ones on eBay. I feel like it's all coming back. I feel like we're circling back around. Do you know what a vintage goose feather tree goes for? My guess would be something like. 200 300 bucks between two to five hundred dollars yeah, for a vintage goose feather uh, tree basically what's happening is everyone's kind of taking that step back and looking at the way things and, and taking yeah. and putting a value on it and saying there was something really good about this mm-hmm. but you know it's fun to see where the artificial tree came from with germany 
and how, you know, their forests were being cut down. So it was out of necessity, not out of convenience. And now it's definitely a convenience to have an artificial tree. I mean, we went out and picked ours, our live tree. (laughs) They do have kits, so you can make your own feather tree if you'd like to have one and don't want to pay all that money. (laughs) I'm going to make myself a feather tree kit. Thank you, Donna. (laughs) I will definitely make a feather tree. Oh, I will make a feather tree. I'll be like, hey, while you're making one, make two. Just give me one, please. (laughs) That's usually the way it works. That is the way it works. (laughs) So what would some common dishes be at a celebration, whether it's Christmas or not? It kind of goes back to, from what I've read, it goes back to ice. This time of year, you had ice available. So you could have some things that you wouldn't have. So surprisingly, um, we're in Ohio, far away from any place that has oysters. And oysters were a big thing in the wintertime, especially around the holidays, because ice was available and they could ship them here. Wow. Safer than, you know, in the the warmer months, because the ice would all melt and boil. And I've also read that ice cream was a big deal, again, because ice was available. Nice. Yeah, I've... The ice cream I've read too, which is fascinating. And oysters, well, because we're right here in Maryland, I mean, oysters are a huge thing, but it's interesting to hear that they headed out to Ohio as well. That's fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> I just love all the traditions from back then, you know, to go back and look at them. It was so beautiful and so natural. There is something just so nostalgic about it. I came across a recipe. I think it's credited to Sarah Polk. But I came across a recipe for hickory nut cake that's supposed to be a historic Ohio classic. Have you ever heard of that? No, I haven't. But. Okay. <laughs> that happens a lot of times. Someone will say, like, this is a Baltimore classic. And we look at each other and say, huh? Never. <laughs> what? What'd you say? Maybe because I'm not originally from Ohio. I don't know. <laughs> okay, babe. What are some of the classics like that your family had back in New England, though? We did a lot of cranberry things, especially since we live on Cape Cod. Mm-hmm. Um, How about pancakes and syrup? Because you're definitely, yep, definitely never had the fake syrups, always real maple syrup. I would expect nothing less. <laughs> yeah, real maple. <laughs> and you work, we've seen you in action. You cook on this really amazing wood fired stove. I'm jealous. In the kitchen right in the 1880s house. What's it like you so you do all the cooking and baking right on that? What's it like to work with that? Is it hard to figure out timing? It's fun to cook on. You have to be around. It's not like modern cooking where you know something is your oven's set at a certain temperature and you can just go off and set your timer and come back and check on it in a half hour or something. You have to be there to keep putting wood in the fire. The firebox is on the left side of the stove. So when you're cooking, say, a cake or something inside the oven, you have to remember to rotate it because one side's going to cook faster than the other. There's a shelf in there, so heat rises, so things on the top shelf are going to cook a little faster. So you just have to keep remembering to rotate things and keep checking it. They didn't have aluminum foil back then, so you know if you have your pie crust and the, the edges of the crust are getting a little too dark, you could put a little foil around until the middle's cooked. So you couldn't do that back then, so you take, if you're making a pie, you 
take another pie plate, turn it over upside down, keep the rest of it from getting too brown, but still keep cooking. Same with a cake, put another cake pan over the top. Okay. Now, will you be making, what, what will be your lunch for on the farm the day, you know, right before Christmas? Now, are you there on Christmas Eve or no? Let's see when is Christmas Eve. It's Sunday. We'll be open on Sunday. Uh, we'll be and will you be the- making a special lunch for Christmas? No, we probably won't have too many staff and we'll probably have it leftovers <laughs> if anything left. <laughs> so, Fair enough. so right um, now, what would be what is in season for you to be cooking with? You know, it, we, we had a big program over the weekend for um, hog butchering. And so we had a lot of people. We fed 15 to 20 people each day. So we just did a lot of cooking for that. And it, we're kind of getting to the end of our season. Our school groups have ended for the season. We have a few more pro- public programs and a homeschool program coming up. But after that, we kind of take a, a step back at the end of December and we'll work on planning programming for next year, maintenance on, on the house and antiques and things like that. Nice. So, when we were there under the stove, you had sweet potatoes, the most yes. massive sweet potatoes that we have ever seen. I'll never forget them. So, I know they well, were incredible. Are you, <laughs> they were big. are you doing any cooking with them? And what, if you are, what are you making with them? We, we had some today for dinner. As a matter of fact, I, took one and fed everybody. So I peeled it, cut it up into cubes and put a little oil and salt and pepper on it and put it on a baking sheet and just cooked it in the oven. Yeah. That's wood-fired oven roasted sweet potatoes, <laughs> which sounds really good though. Actually, I mean, some we, things are better simple. Weighed the sweet potatoes and our largest one was five and a half pounds. <laughs> <laughs> When I saw those sweet potatoes that day, I think I saw them before you. You did. I looked down and I said, "That those are the biggest things I've ever seen in my life, sweet potato wise." Were they? That was one season's growing. Yep. What yep. heavens? What did you put in that garden? <laughs> They're made with lots of Probably lots a lot of manure. Of with lots. <laughs> a lot of manure. Oh yeah, we saw the spreader. The <laughs> oh, that's right. The nineteen seventy-four women on the farm. <laughs> Man. This is me being a geek. Do you know what cultivar they are? I think they were Beauregard, which I'm not even sure if that goes back to our time period. We've had trouble getting heirloom yeah, sweet potatoes. My mom grew Beauregards one year, and we had a coach and rooster that thought they were the most delicious thing. He would dig them up and peck all around the edges. (laughs) My mom, being the practical woman that she is, said... Just cut that part off. We're eating it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> well, they no. were very, very good, even though they were big. So and that's what they I was going to ask you if they were stringy or not. Some but they were good. that too. And the, like the bigger the vegetable or fruit, sometimes it it lacks taste. It can, but mm-hmm. sometimes that's what you go to. You're like, I'm going to get more bag for my buck there. I mean, those sweet potatoes. <laughs> you got a million dollars in sweet potatoes there. That's for sure. That was amazing. <laughs> okay, so we're going to give Donna the question that we give every single guest that comes in, but it's going to be a little different this time because it's going to involve two animals. Right. So first of all, what is your favorite breed of chicken? And also what's your favorite breed of goose? I have two favorite breeds of chicken. That's fine. Dominique and speckled Sussex. Oh, Oh, two of our faves. As we thought, you are a woman of incredibly good taste (laughs) because they are just wonderful. What do you like about both of them? 
they're docile. I like the fact that they're uh, really old breeds. They're pretty, I think, and I just like their personalities. They're pretty calm and friendly. Someone gave me my Dominique, uh, Dolly Madison, and I adore her. At some point, I need to get more Dominiques there. Like, I, I feel like they're one of the most underappreciated breeds out there. Yeah, that's a great name for <laughs> Dolly Madison. <laughs> I love that. I love that hen. Okay, so let's move on to your favorite breed of goose. It would have to be Old English. <laughs> <laughs> I would I would think so because they're so rare. No, I know the Society of Poultry Antiquities has them. I don't think the Livestock Conservancy even has West of England on the conservation priority list. And I wonder they if that's... Don't. Um, that's why when people ask, I usually say cotton patch. But Okay. Um, I think they're, from what the articles that I've read... Um, I think they're different than um, the uh, cotton patch. I think they the, are. They're the genetically cotton patch distinct. Choctaw, and came from different stock originally. Mm-hmm. But most people have never heard of them. <laughs> okay, we want to say thank you to Donna so much for coming on and spending this hour with us today, chatting about Slate Run Farm geese. Christmas in the 1880s, all those fun things because it's the holiday season. This is our Christmas episode. And thank you again. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you, Donna. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Bye. Bye. We just want to thank Donna and the staff at Slate Run one more time for their hospitality, for being so willing to talk to us. They give us some great suggestions. They are amazing over there. Really fantastic. We've loved all of this. Thank you. Thank you. Amazing. And Merry Christmas to you all. Merry Christmas and happy holidays. Okay. So let's move on to... Cracking the eggs. Cracking those eggs. Now, this week, we're doing one that we do every Christmas season. It's our annual bread pudding recipe. And we put a twist on it every year. We sit here and we talk about how do we want our bread pudding... And this year, we're doing apple bread pudding with a caramel sauce because we all know how much Holly Ann loves caramel. And apples. And apple trees. (laughs) (laughs) Can't have one without the other. So let's go on. This is our annual recipe. Let's talk about it. And it's good. It looks a lot harder than it really is. The bread pudding comes together pretty quickly. You're going to be adding chopped peeled apples. And we put optional walnuts in there because they're delicious. Now, the caramel sauce, it sounds fussy to make caramel sauce, right? It's so easy. Super easy. It's got four ingredients, and it works just as well for gluten and dairy-free as it does for full dairy. I mean, you really think that caramel is hard to make, but I make my own all the time to go on top of cakes. It's so easy. Some people will tell you that this is actually a butterscotch sauce Mm. because of the way it's made in the ingredients. I say, who cares? It tastes like caramel, and it's good. (laughs) It tastes like caramel. (laughs) You're going to splurge. This is a five-acre. Okay. But the custard is really rich and now, delicious. Now, if you got a goose, it's only one and a half. Oh, yeah, I guess it is. <laughs> yeah, golden goosey. If you're using pullet eggs, you know, if you have... Oh, man, you better rob the bank if you're using pullet eggs, man. <laughs> if you're using pullet eggs. You better go out there. If you're gonna... <laughs> go with six or even seven if they're really small. I would say like eight Chrissy's nine. going eight to ten over there. <laughs> I'm like, man. The walnuts are optional, but pecans also work well. I always have both of those nuts in my house. Very nutty over here. <laughs> and you guess it's really nutty in the DiCarlo household. It is. It is. Sometimes. Okay. Now. Now can I go through this caramel sauce? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So the caramel sauce, basically, like I said, 
It's easy. I make this all the time. It's a cup of packed brown sugar. Now make sure you pack that brown sugar in. A half a cup of unsalted butter or dairy-free butter. A quarter cup of milk or a very thick dairy-free milk. And you're going to use like an oat milk or a soy milk. Oat milk's usually your best choice for Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And a teaspoon of vanilla extract. We know that I never measure. Just a splash in there. Vanilla. A generous splash. You're going to combine your sugar, your butter, or dairy-free butter, your milk or non-dairy milk in a saucepan. Put it over medium heat and cook, stirring, until the caramel has thickened, like four to five minutes or so. It doesn't take too, too long. Right. Remove it from the heat, stir in your generous splash of vanilla, and you can either use it right then or you can store it in a glass container in the refrigerator. You may need to warm it up, and I recommend actually putting it in a pot of warm water. Versus the microwave because it's not going to heat it up evenly. It does not heat evenly, and it can get really stiff in the fridge. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So after you've done all that, let's go through the ingredients for the bread pudding because... You're going to need some ingredients. Delicious. Okay, so you're going to need one 16-ounce loaf of Italian bread or gluten-free white bread or a bread of your choice, and you're going to cut it into some cubes, and that comes to about eight cups. Yeah, roughly. If you're using something like, say, croissants, which you can, or brioche or something, just make sure you have about eight Eight cups. Eight cups. Five large eggs, one and a half of a goose egg, 10 million pullet eggs if you need this. What would you need? You would need... You'd need 10. 10 mannequin eggs, yeah. You need 10 pullet eggs because okay. you're going to be doubling it up at least. <laughs> Two cups of milk or non-dairy milk. One and a half cups of half and half or dairy-free half and half. Yes, you can get it dairy-free Oh, now. yeah. It's good. A half a cup of granulated sugar, a half a cup of brown sugar, two teaspoons... Two splashes of vanilla, (laughs) two teaspoons of cinnamon. Another one I don't measure a lot. You just want to make sure you're not over heavily putting it in there. Measure One teaspoon of ginger, three apples, peeled, cored, and diced. You forgot something. Oh, did I forget nutmeg on here? Yeah. Whenever you have cinnamon, you always have nutmeg. You have both. Oh, that's a rule? (laughs) That's a rule, man. So if I forget to say nutmeg, one teaspoon of nutmeg. Now let's go back to three apples, peeled, cored, and diced. A half a cup of pecans or walnuts. Now, this is optional, but very nice. Two tablespoons of butter cut into slices or small chunks and extra cinnamon and sugar for sprinkling. Oh, it's good that way. It's good. You don't have to tell Ella twice. Uh-uh. You're going to preheat your oven to 350 degrees and quickly grease a 9 by 13 inch casserole dish. You want a large mixing bowl. You're going to add the milk, the half and half, the eggs, the vanilla, Sugar, cinnamon, nutmeg, and ginger. Whisk it all to combine. Cinnamon and nutmeg. See, they're always together. Add your chopped apples, your walnuts, and your bread cubes to the mixture. And you're going to carefully stir thoroughly and make sure that that bread is well soaked with the custard. You can let it sit for five minutes or so if necessary, if you need the custard to soak a little better. You're going to pour that entire mixture into your prepared pan. Dot the top of the pudding with the butter slices and sprinkle generously with the extra cinnamon and sugar. You don't have to do that, but boy, is it good. And then you're going to bake it. Pop it in the oven, 350 degrees, 35 to 45 minutes, or until the custard has set. Let it cool for like 10 minutes or so before serving with the caramel sauce. Ice cream and whipped cream also make excellent accompaniments. It's making me more hungry, and it's dinner time Well, now. I was like, Gilda Lily, man, do it all. <laughs> Put some ice cream, hungry. some whipped cream, some caramel sauce. It does sound delicious. It does. And I'm hungry right now, so it's making me more hungry. Me too. Try it. You might like it. It's our annual bread pudding recipe. 
It's yummy. Okay, mm-hmm. so are we ready to move on to retail therapy? Retail therapy. Yeah. Yeah. This week's retail therapy. Did I mention it's Christmas? Merry Christmas. We are talking goose feather Christmas trees. Yeah, specifically goose feather Christmas tree kits. There's a little story that Donna told us about during the main topic mm-hmm. about the forest being low on trees. And so the German people came up with this for their Christmas trees. Right. They did use goose feathers specifically. And at that time, the goose was a, I mean, it was really seen as livestock on a farm. Mm -hmm. And so they would have been using the whole bird. They would have used the feathers. Right. And it was a way, we were talking about this. It was out of necessity, not out of convenience. Mm -hmm. Now, artificial trees are more of a convenience versus a necessity. So this is how it all started. Right. And Donna mentioned the kits. So we went and looked at the kits. I don't know that I'll have time to do one of these this year, but you better believe I'm making one for next year. Yeah. And again, as we said in the main topic, you can go find a vintage feather tree. Yes. But expect to pay a lot for them. They are not inexpensive. No. So here's one here on Etsy for $145. It's a 25-inch authentic goose feather tree, already pre-made. And keep in mind, 25 inches is only two feet. That's only two feet. Now, with the kits, I found kits for two-feet trees. And I'm going to stick a couple of different suppliers up in the show notes but the one, which I think is just called feathertree.com, a 24-inch tree was about $40. The other, a 24-inch tree was $65. Right. I don't know at this point the difference in quality, if there is a difference in quality between these kits. But I'm going to start with the less expensive one, put it together and see how it goes. Yeah, I mean, because look, we're looking at 57 inches for $495. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. These are expensive and they're kind of people want them now we were talking about the main topic with decorating people are going back to natural decorating it's big right now when a few years ago we went to williamsburg and oh my god the decorating for the holidays there was the most beautiful oh it's fantastic it you know to use your fruits and your vegetables and to dry them out and to use things in nature it's we're going back to that. But the biggest problem they have there is the squirrel stealing the fruit off the wreath. <laughs> squirrel are like, let's party. They're like, yeah, yeah it's Christmas. <laughs> it's Christmas. Squirrel's That's eating good. <laughs> but this year I've noticed, and we were talking about this before we started recording, this holiday season there's been this big trend in mantle decorating, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. These little trees would be beautiful on a big fireplace mantle, yes. the little tiny ones with all your greens. And the push to be natural is out there right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's kind of cool that this would come up now. Absolutely. Now, I laugh at this because I've been decorating my mantles for over 30 years. Me too. And I decorate naturally every year. Me too. And I've, I've been doing vintage since we were teenagers. So it's funny. It's just funny to see that kind of style come around again. Everything's coming back around. Even vinyls are coming back around. I mean, it's... Yes. Records are back yeah. in. You know, it's just the way it is. Everything cycles. And if you're lucky to have things cycle twice for yourself, that's awesome. Some of them you're like, I never want to see again. But other trends you're like... They go in, they go out, and they come back, and you're like, I kind of liked that. I saw parachute pants the other day. Oh, my God. That can definitely stay out. Parachute pants. that we, People wear them when we were in middle school. Oh, God. I had a pair of black Did parachute pants. I never had any. I'm oh, okay with it. they had zippers all over them, man. <laughs> Woo, they were good. So, yeah, but this tree is really cool. It has a, a historical story behind it, and it it's natural. You know, so there's... 
different ones. They can they also use the larger feathers to make a different tree. Yes, and I didn't find kits for those, but you can find them. Um, they're more Etsy expensive. Had them. Yeah, yeah, they're more expensive. They're pretty and they're more finished looking. Right, exactly. And I actually was looking at them because they would look amazing on a mantle. Yeah. Yeah. So the kits, I'm not even sure how you make this. I'm assuming that you lay the feathers in wire and twist it. That's my guess. Yeah, that's my guess too. I mean, it's how the artificial tree actually started. Right, right. I mean, you really don't These know. were the original faux tree. This was the original artificial tree mm-hmm. and it was from goose feathers. So not that many people probably really know that, but that's how it started, everybody. Right. Okay. So see if you like one, try it out there. And if you do, let us know. Send us pictures. If you have a, a goose feather tree, we'd love to see it. We would love to see it. Okay. So should we be telling everybody what we're going to be talking about next week? Next week is our New Year's episode. We are spotlighting an extremely, extremely rare American bantam chicken, the pinchin. I mean, when we say extremely, we mean extremely. Extremely. Main topic, it's the chicken lady's year in review. Highlights, lowlights. All it the all. Things, all the things you need to know. Oh, Cracking the eggs. This was fun. This is a shrimp and egg pate or chunky dip, as Chrissy calls it. Yes, and we ate it a while ago. It was good. Let's <laughs> <It was> go. <good. laughs> and retail therapy. We're talking chicken booze. Chicken booze. This is a time, and, and this and, is and not, not booze, booze for, for your chickens. chickens. It's booze for you that has chickens on the label. Yeah, yeah. This is a don't miss. Seriously, they're all don't misses. Well, yeah, I. They're all don't miss, but whatever. Hey, chicken booze is really don't miss. Mm-hmm. And if you want a good laugh, go back and listen to the very first one we did with chicken booze. I laughed myself silly. That was the very first New Year. Normally, we don't send people back to our first episodes because they're a little rough. They're very rough, but that one was so funny. Yeah, you pretty much lost control. <laughs> well, yeah. what can I say? Okay, so everybody, Merry, Merry Christmas. We hope you have a wonderful holiday with your family, from our families to yours. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. If you don't celebrate Christmas, happy everything. Wonderful holidays. And we'll talk to you in Next the new week. year. What should we tell everybody to do until the new year? Hug your chickens. Every day and kiss them too. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. If you'd like to see more of us, please follow us on Instagram at Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. If you'd like to help us grow the podcast, please leave us a written review on Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, please visit our Patreon page, patreon.com slash coffee with the chicken ladies. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 